while your day is winding down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. south coast tonight i'm marcus farrow chris will be back next week but i'm here with you till 10 o'clock to finish out the week strong what an incredible week it's been just a recap uh briefly before we move on to the next topic but if you want to talk about anything in the next hour you can um you know within reason if i don't want to talk about it i'll tell you but um with just about anything but uh, you can at 508-996-0500 also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. Really incredible week on South Coast tonight. Um, you know, mostly centered around Sheriff Paul Harrow breaking that major news that he plans, that he wants to close the Ash Street Jail. He's just asking the state legislature for the funding, wants to relocate operations to Dartmouth, thinks he has the space to do it with the ICE detention facility. There's big news that we're going to ca- that we're going to continue. We're going to continue have conversations with Sheriff Rowe. There was actually a lot, honestly, because that was about a forty-five-ish, forty-ish minute interview. There was so much in that interview. It was it, there was so much to unpack and discuss, and I, and I look forward to doing that more with Sheriff Rowe. But there was so much to unpack and discuss in that interview that got kind of washed out by the Ash Street announcement because that has been such a hot-button topic for 50 years, right? Um, and, uh, you know, Harrow's proposing, like, a final resolution to it, to a decades-long, uh, you know, just not just, like, policy and really cultural battle uh, locally surrounding criminal justice and criminal justice reform. But some some of the other things that he had said during that interview, which I thought were really important, were one that they've identified a national expert. The they've identified a national expert that they're hoping to contract with for suicide prevention. If you'll remember, or the early days of his two days into his into his tenure as Bristol County Sheriff, he uh, an inmate had is suspected of of killing themselves uh, committing suicide by hanging they hang themselves in their cell at dartmouth that was discovered by the person's cellmate um and sheriff Rowe had basically you know he came on uh that that because he made it known to the media and then he came on that day on uh later that evening on south coast tonight to give some comments and he was very direct about how he felt about the 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 jail suicide policy and how he wants to move forward he was basically like i own this now this is my you know 
I own this now, this, this, you know, basically BCSO and the, the policies around it. I own this now. This is my issue. And we have blind spots in our suicide, uh, in our suicide, uh, prevention co- protocols. And I don't know what that is yet. And I'm really, and I, and I'm one of my top priorities is to identify that is to identify the, the, how to better address the suicide rate in the house of correction, not just at Ash street, but at the Dartmouth house of correction as well. And, you know, he basically said, you can't tell me we're doing everything right when we have a rate of suicide that's about, you said, twice as high as the rest of the state or twice as high as it should be. It's the highest rate of suicides in the state. So he says, we, we, we're not doing everything right and we need to do better. And so he told me that they had identified a national expert. And the way he basically had come to that conclusion is he had an idea of a suicide prevention expert he wanted to contract. The, um, he had, uh, had had his old boss, Leon King, who was the soup, uh, who was the, um, supervisor of the Philadelphia County jails where Hero worked previously in corrections and at the Massachusetts, uh, pr- uh, previous, um, veterans of the Massachusetts department of corrections where Hero also worked, uh, before he became a state rep. And they all, you know, they did an evaluation of the place, not just suicide prevention policy or any of that, but they did a whole of their whole evaluation of a place, drafted a report, and he's going to review it. But what he said was one of the one of the things, you know, he had an idea and he didn't ask that he didn't tell them who he was thinking of. He asked them each, who are you thinking of in terms of a suicide prevention expert, a national suicide prevention expert that can help us figure out what is going on here, why we have this high rate and how it is preventable. And they all identified. He said they each identified the same person who he was already thinking of. He said, those people aren't talking to each other. So he said, so he knows that that's the right person. Cause he thought of, he was thinking of that person. They both thought they all, all three of them thought of the same guy. So he is looking to contract that expert. He talked about, you know, we talked about whether or not he had to go through the RFP process, the request for proposal process. It's kind of a long process when you have, um, you know, having to contract with a state agency or any any public agency in Massachusetts. It, it takes a little bit. It takes a while, the, the RFP process. But he had basically said uh, he doesn't think that they have to, but he's, he's checking with their uh, contracts expert. He also said they're looking and bringing on new people, a new employment law attorney and all of that. Another thing he said was he is going to – so that's really important. I mean, he's already moving in that direction. Obviously, I'm going to – you know, I'm going to be following that here. We're going to be following that here. When they do identify a Nash, uh, a suicide um, prevention expert and they bring him on, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be really on that and let you guys know uh, exactly when that happens and who it is because that's, that's an important issue for, for a lot of us, you know. You may not – have been most, not all of you, but most of you listening probably aren't in the correction system at the Bristol County Sheriff's Office or haven't been. But there's a lot of people in the audience that I know have been. And furthermore, there's a lot more people that have a loved one or a friend, you know, someone that they know that has been or currently is in the BCSO system. And so that is an important issue. You want to make sure that if they are 
you know, in the care, custody, control of your local sheriff's department, that they are in an environment where they can be subjected to the least amount of harm uh, possible. So looks like they're moving forward with that, and we're going to continue to track that. Again, it was like a lot of stuff that we 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 that got washed out by the asterisk that I wanted to just briefly overview again. Another thing he had talked about was the um, the sick time policy in which uh, he thinks will save, um, you know, Bristol County Sheriff money, Sheriff's Office money, and thus taxpayer money um, by letting people buy uh, sell back their sick time to to the sheriff's office for at a rate of um, basically uh, 125%, which he said will save him money because people won't bang out sick because they don't, they have a rollover policy. They have, they don't have a rollover policy. So it's a use it or lose it policy. So you get 40 hours of sick time uh, a year. And obviously if you use it or lose it, people are going to bang out sick. So he said in order to try to prevent that, he's going to give people a monetary consideration which will be 125%. Now, he said it's going to save him money because it'll cost him 150% of a person's um, wages when he has to force overtime or bring people in for overtime. That's another important, I think, another important policy change that we discussed. The other thing we discussed was he and this is all in the podcast too. If you want to get his complete comments, I know a lot of people have been really interested in that podcast. They see the numbers, a lot of people. Um, but the other thing he said was he's going to eliminate some positions at the at the sheriff's office. He's going to eliminate. He's going to terminate some positions at the sheriff's office because of redundancy. You know, for two reasons: one, because of redundancies. Some he feels as though are redundant and another that he feels as he, you know, there's certain other positions that he doesn't, you know, doesn't coincide with his vision for the depart uh, for the for the office. But what was important there is because you remember he came in on uh, a, a week or so after not a week, probably two, three weeks after the election. Just to, you know, he wanted to come on. He came in studio to talk uh, for a couple hours with us, take calls and take app chat messages from people. I know there was people who are sheriff's employees, people who are spouses of sheriff's employees who were, you know, just a little bit concerned that, you know, they had a, that they might lose their jobs or, you know, the, some of the changes that were coming on. What he wanted to say was, I'm not going to come in and just start firing people everywhere. He said was, if your position is terminated, you will be offered an alternative position. Uh, another position within the department that fits within, you know, the reorganization that he wants to do. So people won't necessarily lose a job. They won't lose a paycheck. Um, and he said, if you don't want that position, then there's going to be a discussion around severance and all that stuff. But there is going to be an option to maintain a job. So just, you know, like I said, with all of the discussion, with all the important, it was just so layered. And I had planned on, you know, doing deeper dives into all of that after our interview, but then he broke the Street news. So we had to talk about that. Obviously that had to, that had to dominate the conversation because uh, all that other stuff is incredibly important. But one of the things people are following most people, not just here, but nationally, I, I mean, I, I, when I, when I had broken the news on Twitter uh, about Hero's plan announcement, there were national publications that followed it. 
and had retweeted it and said, um, you know, this is this is huge. This is important. One guy, uh, one national publication said this is the consequence. One publication that doesn't like Sheriff Hodgson very much, but said this is the uh, this is the consequence of local elections. This shows the importance of local elections because it wouldn't have happened otherwise. So we had to talk about that. But there's still, I mean, some pretty important changes that I know a lot of people in this audience are, are very interested in after following this election, whether or not you supported Sheriff Rowe, whether you supported Sheriff Hodgson. It was a close election. So I imagine the number of people that supported either either office holder is, is pretty even, although New Bedford seemed to be resoundingly for Sheriff Rowe. So maybe most people in this audience are, are maybe most people in this direct audience and are in our most you know, our, our, the lion's share of our audience, I will say, is uh, more supportive of Hero, but still there's, there's definitely a lot of people that were supportive of Hodgson. So there's a lot of important stuff that was covered. And so, and the other thing we talked, we didn't talk about, which I want to get him back on to talk about more because it was a major, major issue in the election was Sheriff Hero said he was going to uh, donate the mobile command center that the sheriff's office has back to uh, back to the Taunton Police Department. Now, the uh, the one of the major themes of the sheriff's election was the law enforcement role of a county sheriff. Now, Haro had steadfastly held that the job of the sheriff is to run the county jail. And basically nothing else, right? Not 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 basically nothing else, because he did say there are some ancillary, you know, there are some ancillary responsibilities for the. There are ans, ans, there's a ancillary law enforcement responsibilities for the sheriff's office to work with local law enforcement agencies, you know, in the interest of public safety. He had talked about working with law enforcement partners and how that is a responsibility and one he will continue, but. It you know it leaves open uh, it leaves open the discussion of whether or not they're going to because he doesn't feel the need for that mobile command center anymore. There is a discussion of whether or not you know he is going to winnow down the the law enforcement capacity or purview or however you want to word it of the sheriff's office. You know and how that's going to help. I mean obviously. If Taunton, the Taunton Police Department wants that mobile command center, that's going to expand what they're able to do, right? So, in some ways, it's not you know it's it's a it's a relinquishment of some of their uh, capabilities, but an enhancement of other local uh, law enforcement um, agencies' capabilities. But I, you know, again, it, it, I said to him afterward, you know, we were uh, you know we were kind of falling victim to the. Uh, to the time constraints that we had here, even though I basically had an hour. But when I, next time that we, we, we talked to him, of course I want to continue to track the suicide issue, right? Cause it's going to be a, it's a high priority of his, I think a high priority of ours to figure out. But the other thing I want to talk about is the law enforcement role of the sheriff. I think a lot of democratic sheriffs do have a more limited, uh, a, a more, limited view of what the sheriff's law enforcement role is. You'll remember I had uh, the Cape Cod Sheriff Donna Buckley on. And first of all, she canceled the 287G agreement with ICE, right? So 
the two, um, the 287G agreement with ICE to hold detainees, I think they she said they were the last place, they were the last county sheriff maybe in New England to have the 287G agreement. And she said it was the very first thing she was going to do was basically cancel that ICE agreement. She didn't want it. She doesn't think it's, you know, the within the scope of the sheriff's uh, department to carry out um, the immigration enforcement duties of the federal government. When I asked Haro during his media availability whether or not he wanted to continue the the sheriff's um, whether or not he wanted to renew the sheriff's relationship the sheriff's office relationship with the Department of Homeland Security, he seemed pretty firmly on the no side. What he said was, I mean he was noncommittal to it. Because when we had him on during the election, I said, are you going to refuse a contract with ICE? Are you saying that now? He said, no, I'm not saying that. He goes, you know, it all depends on, like, what's the benefit for us? What's the benefit for the county? What's going to cost? What it's, you know, what is it going to cost us, if anything? You know, we're going to have to, you know, dedicate um, resources to it, labor, any of that. He said, it all depends. But I said is, if you're going to close down ICE, or if you're going to not close down ICE, if you're going to take the ICE detention facility and basically completely change its purpose, which was to hold ICE detainees, to hold now local county detainees. Does that mean you're done with ICE? You're done with the Department of Homeland Security and the Sheriff's Office, at least for the next six years, maybe 12, depending on if he runs for re-election and gets re-elected. Does it mean within that, you know, that the Bristol County Sheriff's Office is done with ICE for at least the next six to 12 years? And he was, again, he his comments were basically pointed towards, you know, like, yeah, we're done. You know, he said, I haven't heard from them. They haven't reached out to me and said, hey, let's renew this contract. Like, you know, you thought maybe Biden would want, you know, maybe the Biden administration didn't want to work with Hodgson. Maybe they want to work with a Democrat. Um, I know they had canceled some other 287Gs, uh, G agreements uh, themselves. But he said, I haven't heard anything about that from them. They haven't reached out to me. I said, he said, we've got enough going on here. Uh, I'm not looking to add any responsibilities from the federal government. So right now I'm focused on running the county jails is more or less what he said. And so at least that capacity is definitely going to be limited, especially if this plan goes forward. And even if he doesn't, even if it doesn't, he's not going out and seeking federal contracts because he wants to, he feels as though the responsibility should be more singularly focused on care, custody and control of inmates. Now, you know, I, I think Sheriff Hodgson's argument during the, the election was the, the scope of the, 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 the county sheriff's office. Um, they have enough, uh, you know, energy and resources to do a lot more in terms of law enforcement. But that's not where Hero is. And I, when I talked to Donna Buckley, because um, there was some argument here during the debate of whether or not the, the county sheriff was a law enforcement role. Hero said no. He cited some Supreme Court precedent. But it is, I think, in the, either the Massachusetts state constitution or enshrined in Massachusetts state law that the sheriff is the chief law enforcement officer of a county. Donna Buckley told me, she said the word, the word she used was ceremonial. That's ceremonial. And in fact, you know, her opponent had had some um, vision for the department in which the sheriff's office was actually doing patrols across Cape Cod, right, in that in that circumstance, Barnstable County. And what, you know, what she said was, you know, there's ancillary law enforcement, complementary law enforcement capabilities of the sheriff's office. And 
what, you know, if a, if the, you were to have another agency basically going out and doing patrols and carrying out law enforcement duties, it would be a disruption on the policing policies of all those cities and towns in that county. So this, you know, your, 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 your policing policies are set by your municipal elected officials, your mayor, your city councilors, your select board members. And so to have maybe sheriff's offices going out and doing patrols like that is going to disrupt, you know, their, you know, the, the, the relationship they have with the community and the relationship that the community has agreed to have with them by voting for the people who set the policies. So a lot to unpack there. There's a lot more to unpack. There's so much, I mean, there are so many implications to, you know, these new elections that it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be a really robust conversation. There's so much more to talk about than just closing Ash Street. Closing Ash Street is huge. It presents a lot of opportunities for all of us, not just New Bedford, but all of us here. It presents a lot of different opportunities. And that's obviously going to be something that people are going to be really interested in following. And we're going to be really interested in following. But there's so much more that's going to impact this community that we're going to get that information from the sheriff's office. They've been very, you know, I think Sheriff Rose has been just as media available as Sheriff Hodgson has been thus far, you know, very early into his term, but even when he was running, very media available, understands the importance of local media and communicating directly uh, to their constituents. So looking forward to that. 508-996-0500. Take a break. I'll be right back. show on Marcus 508-996-0500 so you can get the program also taking a message of the WBSM app chat open phone lines whatever you want to discuss for the remainder of the half hour the remainder of the week for this show will of course be back Monday we've already got some good guests lined up Monday actually just um, Monday what we're going to do uh, and we'll be talking about other stuff throughout the show but Monday what we're going to do is we're going to do the same thing that we did for the statewide candidates for office, but in um, the statewide candidates for office, but uh, in in uh, for the Ward Three residents. You remember uh, when we during the the day before the state primary in September, September first in September and the day before the the general election November 7th or 8th something like that 
We had basically all of the statewide candidates in Massachusetts call in briefly just to make their final pitch to you guys here in the South Coast in southeastern Massachusetts. And uh, it was really great. It was it was really good to hear from all of them. I, I thought it was a, a great feature of the show. I, I really enjoyed. And we're going to be doing the same thing, but for the Ward 3 candidates. So we've talked to all of them. They're all interested in calling in. They're all going to call in on Monday. Uh, they're going to do some brief candidate call-ins uh, just to make, again, a quick five-minute pitch. Uh, those candidates are Sean Oliver, Jake, uh, John Oliver, Jake Ventura, um, Bob Cabral, Bob Bromley, Carmen Amaral, John Robinson, Kathy Daner. Please don't tell me I'm missing somebody. I'm just doing the quick math again in my head. Jake Ventura, Sean Oliver, Bob Cabral, Bob Bromley, Carmen Amaral, John Robinson, Kathy Daner. No, that's seven. So they're all going to call in the night before the election to make their last pitch for Ward 3 City Council. The preliminary election is on Tuesday, January 24th, and that's going to bring the field of seven down to two. That's when things start getting spicy. So we'll be here tracking that. We'll have them back. We'll have these candidates back on uh, during the general election. Hopefully have a debate. We'll see if it works out. Hopefully have a debate. I'd like to. I like doing debates. Some people don't, but I do. I think it's great for conversation. I think it's great. It's good radio, first of all. But beside from it being good radio, it's good to have a couple candidates in the room, you know, really fleshing out their ideas with the points and counterpoints and drawing those distinctions between each other. And we all know how fun the Prince of the County Sheriff's debate was, right? Uh, and how intense that was in years. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, God, I'll never forget it. And the, the Plymouth County DA's debate, too, was excellent. So 508-996-0500. Uh, one thing I wanted to finish off the show with, and again, if you got something else, just give me a call or shoot me a message. If you've got something else you want to talk about, that's fine. One of the things I, I was I was interested in is the rent control Um the rent control policy that's being pushed forward by Boston Mayor Michelle Wu. Now, rent control is a measure that's implemented to try to slow the, you know, the exponential increase in rents that has been happening, not just in Massachusetts, but across the country. Some states have passed rent control. Uh, California is one of them. Oregon's another one. I think Oregon's rent control was... Not more than 7%. You can't increase your rent more than 7% of the consumer price index. And I think the last, I think most recently this year, uh, Oregon, they said this year it can, rents can be raised up to 14, uh, 14.6% in 2023, which seems like a pretty substantial, which seems pretty high. But it could have been higher. There would have been no rent cap, so you could have done it 30%, I guess, if you wanted to. So Michelle Wu's putting forward rent control. Obviously, rent rent in Boston's pretty out of control. Rent in the Commonwealth is starting to get pretty high, too. I think the average for a one-bedroom apartment is something like 
twenty two hundred a month across the across the Commonwealth. Boston's one of the, obviously one of the top three, if not the highest, uh, you know, average rents in the uh, uh, around. So it's making it very unaffordable for people who are who are living there. And so one of the things that they want to do to try to ameliorate that is try to cap the amount of increase that landlords can charge rent. Michelle Wu's proposal is going to limit allowable rent increases to 10% a year. So that's a little bit different than what like Oregon, I think is proposed. Oregon is, is tied it to the consumer price index, right? It's not more than 7% of the consumer price index in, in, in California. I mean, in Oregon, I think in California, it's not more than 6% higher than the, fe- the consumer price index. Consumer price, price index is basically a resource used by the federal government's Bureau of Labor Statistics to measure uh, inflation, more or less. That's a very simplified term of what it is, but that's what it, you know, that's that's how I define it. If you've got a different definition, let me know. But, um, so... Well, in a typical year with 2% inflation, landlords can only increase. Okay, so maybe it is tied to the CPI because it's saying in a typical year with with uh, 2% inflation, landlords could increase their rent by up to 8%. In high inflation years like 2022, the measure would now never allow more uh, increases more than 10%. Mr. Wu's proposal will uh, exempt new buildings for the next 15 years after they open. For the, I mean, the yeah, new buildings for the first 15 years after they open. It also exempts small owner-occupied policy, uh, properties such as three-deckers. So those are exempt. Those aren't those aren't falling under Wu's rent control policy. And it would be paired with uh, just cause eviction protections for tenants, which will require landlords to have adequate reason to launch uh, eviction proceedings for tenants. I know that's going to be a sticking point for <laughs> for a lot of landlords um, because Massachusetts is typically a pretty tenant-friendly state, having done just not a lot of landlord-tenant law when I was uh, when I had my solo practice. Not doing a lot of landlord-tenant law, but just a little bit. Um, you know, when you're on the landlord side, it's a lot harder <laughs> than if you're on the tenant side in terms of, I think, uh, getting a redress of, uh, you know, uh, to, to address your grievances. But the thing is, is that the reason it's important is because one, you know, obviously Boston being like the, the sort of the economic and fulcrum of the state and all of that, the policies that, that happen in Boston obviously will have an impact on the communities outside of Boston and Massachusetts. And not only that, there have been state legislatures, including, um, Cambridge rep, Mike Conley, who's a friend of the show. He's going to come back on, I think, later in the month or sometime next month. They're focused on bill filing. Now, we've had a couple of legislatures on. We've had a couple of members of the, uh, of the state legislature. I really love talking to members of the state legislature because they always have been like, you know, they're always they're all working on their own thing. And it's all really important and interesting. But they're all focused on bill filing now. I believe bills, you know, new bills were the deadline was Friday. Mark Montigny in, in, you know, filed that bill co-sponsored by Chris Markey to put the Dartmouth um, <clears throat> uh, to, you know, to represent Dartmouth in that ongoing septic fight uh, with uh, the DEP to try to put DEP in check. To try to put DEP in check to say any, any, any changes that you make to septic laws, you have to pay for yourself. But 
Mike Conley and other uh, members of the state house have filed rent control um, laws. Um, Mike Conley's, I believe, is called the Tenant Protection Act, which would put limits on how much uh, a landlord can increase their rent uh, per year. I'm not saying you can't increase it per year, but it puts a limit on how much you can e- increase it per year. And I think the reason they're doing that is they're saying basically, uh, you know, we're getting at a point where rent control, rent prices for the most part are getting to a point where it's become pretty <clears throat> untenable. And you've seen rents in Boston in particular go up as high as 31, 32% in certain, like in the seaport, in the South Boston seaport district. I believe it's gone up uh, in the, since 2012, 31%, right? In Back Bay, South End, it's gone up about 27%. Uh, no less than basically no less than 20%. Every, every area of Boston rent has been increasing at a rate of at least 20%. So they need to try to figure out how to, um, address this. Now there's a couple sticking points with what she proposed and just generally proposing this in statewide, like, you know, how to impact New Bedford and all that. There has been a ban on rent control in Massachusetts that was passed, I believe, in 1996. Now, there has been rent control laws in the books throughout Massachusetts, in Massachusetts throughout the last hundred years. There have been rent, there has been rent control in the books. A lot of it has, you know, a lot of the push for rent control laws has been led by, you know, um, progressive, uh, you know, progressive organizations and labor unions throughout its hundred year, uh, you know, throughout the last hundred years or so. But the last, like, rent control era was from the 70s up until 1996, and there's been a ban ever since. So they're really opening up a can of worms here. I think there's going to be, obviously, a lot of institutional pushback from it. Um, You know, a lot of, like, uh, landlord organizations, landlords in general, uh, a lot of major property owners, right, are going to push back on it. But I think the argument they're making here is that... You know, we're at a position where people are just going to be priced out of their uh, out of living anywhere. And we already have, uh, you know, as we know, having talking about the conversation on Ash Street, a pretty di- a pretty dire housing shortage issue. So. It's something that definitely needs to be addressed. It's something that definitely needs to be addressed. Now, I think with Boston, a lot of things with Boston, it's kind of like New York, New York City, a lot of their a lot of their laws and ordinances and, and changes like that have to go through the state legislature. And in Boston, it has to go through a process called a home rule petition. Uh, we talked about that a lot with the um, Sergeant Mike Cassidy uh, discussion. And I think that discussion needs to come back and we're going to bring it back here because, um, you know, I think Sergeant Cassidy's family deserves to get those line of duty death benefits. But um Basically, as homo petition is something you need to get state legislature approval from to change a law or policy or, or organizational structure of your local government. And so the city council passes a, a city council or, or legislative body of a town uh, or city, like a town meeting, passes a measure, uh, a homo petition. It is then signed by the executive elected official, either the select or approved by the executive elected official, either the select board or the mayor. And then it goes to the state legislature where it needs to be passed by in both chambers of the state house and signed by the governor. They're often very difficult to get through. Like we did one here with the select board uh, change in Fairhaven, changing the select board from three to five. And, you know, we had Rep Strauss and Senator Montigny get that through. Um, 
uh, and now there's a five person select board, but it can also it can often be very very difficult. So, you know, they have to do that up in Boston, and again, I think it's going to be a big fight. But it's one that'll be interesting because I know there's probably some organiz- local elected officials and organizations here that might be supportive and pushing for that at the state level. All right, I got to take a break. We'll be right back. 1420 WBSM, New Bedford's new stock station. South Coast. Take South Coast tonight with you wherever you go. Stream Chris and Marcus on the WBSM app or get their podcast on the app at WBSM.com. Now back to South Coast tonight. 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Good evening, Marcus. Hey, how's it going? Hey, pretty good. I'm here. <laughs> so are you for rent control, Marcus, or are you against rent control? I, I, I think it's something that has to be looked at. I think broadly it's something that I, you know, the, the, the rents are getting to a, a point where they'd be untenable. What, what Michelle Wu's proposing, too, doesn't seem to hurt the more mom-and-pop type of landlords. It's yes. they're, they're, So if, it's, if we're talking about, like, these large property companies, yep. yeah, I definitely support it. But Yeah, if, yeah you know, I, I, I agree with you there. I was trying to... Listen to Adam Riley while I was listening to your show. To I flipped back and forth. Okay, and they, she talked about having a rent control program mm-hmm. in which, uh, you know, if the people are there, they would come under it. But once those people moved out of that particular building, then the the, the uh, uh, landlord could go up to market rate, right? You know, that sort of stuff. So yeah. it seems like she's trying to be conciliatory and uh, be fair to all those people involved, especially the people uh, here in New Bedford that were thrown out of that. Uh, apartment building there on county street i think in back of uh sam's gas there or something like that yeah the the, uh, new bedford light did a did a good piece on that yeah actually that was a shame especially the guy that was a school teacher there and uh yeah you know by himself what you know what the heck what what, how do you go where did he go anyway i'd like to see a follow-up on that how did he make out after there might have been a follow-up i have to i have to read that again i think there might have been a follow-up on that uh yeah i know the gentleman yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah. that's a shame uh, the other thing I want to uh, put across your mind, too, is uh, uh, how about a proposal to have a constitutional amendment? I know it's not local, okay, uh, to limit the age a president can be. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be great. I think, um, again, I agree, too. Uh, you know, if, if you could say to somebody, you've got to be 35 years of age to run for president, mm-hmm. I don't know what the age would be, but after, I don't know, let's just say 70. No, you can't run for president. I would say 75 okay whatever because okay. there's been so i i mean it's just tough because you know to get the experience to be president and all that i think you got to be you know there's a lot of pretty i think that it uh, 70 is all right i mean reagan well, was, was 75 would be fine too I, I i could go for either run yeah but the only thing i'm saying i you know i look at joe biden and i know you're a democrat okay and come on the, the guy is well, you could say the same thing about Trump. He had a he had a guy called the the music man who used to play him songs when he got angry. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Um, Trump's a, Trump's out there too in another way. And he yells yeah. Screams, you know that yeah. sort of stuff. But again, uh, especially since I think when you get to be that age, I think more people, myself included, have lost the step rather than gained the step. You know, there might oh, be some sure. that you know. Uh, uh, right up to speed and everything, but I, I think that's the exception rather than the rule. And uh, uh, I would hope that they'd look at that. And again, uh, the country belongs to guys like you, you know. Yeah. Us older people, I hate to say it, but when you look and you see Jeff Beck, 78, dead, uh, David Crosby, uh, yeah. 81, dead, 
Um, well, right. if you're in your 70s and 80s, you're starting to say, well, I don't feel too bad, but, yeah. you know. So obviously, uh, I think... I, young- I, I think for Congress, too, like you got Dianne Feinstein, who by all accounts was completely and totally senile in her last mm-hmm. uh, term as as as, uh, as Senator Chuck Grassley, too, that they... You know, there's a well, lot of accounts of, of senators and all of that and, well, and members of the House being completely well, they, gone. Strong Thurman. They, they, God. They, they made such a big deal, too, about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that how great Oh, she that was bad. She should have she she should have left. She should have left. You know, that if, was, if, if you wanted to keep, uh, you know, the, the control of the uh, Supreme Court in, yeah. in Democratic hands, when Obama was in there, that was the time to, and she was sick as well. You know? she, she was sick. Yeah. She was, uh, you know, 80 at the time. She yeah. was sick. Yeah. And uh, for all the great works, the yes. fantastic work she did, and she was a fantastic lawyer and a great Supreme Court justice, yes. she made an historic historic uh f up i'll say she made a historic f up that has you know decades-long consequences and we're seeing it now um so so yeah no i i I do i do agree with that you know i think a strom thurman who was a hundred years old in the senate you know like just (laughs) there's just no reason for it i totally agree but good luck i mean one of those other things is like you know Good luck getting all these uh, octogenarians in the Senate and in the yeah. House well, but, but voting cer- against, Nancy Pelosi voting against their uh, interests. Yeah, like that. but certainly uh, with the presidency, you never you were old enough to see or remember uh, John Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You know, John Kennedy. You may have liked him or not liked him. You may have said his presidency wasn't productive, but he gave an image of youth and progressivism, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah. and and looking forward, new frontier, yeah. all this sort of stuff. It was yeah. it was refreshing, you know, like it that. Was. Uh, a younger man in the presidency, and Lyndon Johnson, who carried out his legacy, wasn't you know he's in, I think he was in his fifties at the time. Yeah, you know? yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But but I I, I think of of course the handsome and yeah, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, President Kennedy. And I I know how he handled his press conferences. He always uh, diffused a bad uh, mm-hmm. you know a bad question with a little joke or something. And yeah. I think you need somebody like that. I was hoping that Obama you know would be more that way. And I I really. Don't think Obama and I voted for him. Realized, uh, you know what he wanted to do. I think uh, and, and and modernize the president. I, I think I think you know the 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 promise of Obama and, and you know what happened. I think there was there's definitely for a lot of people a lot to be desired. I mean, I'm broadly you know I'd say he's a good president, but yep. I think there was a lot to be desired yes, in yes. terms of 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 uh, when he when he got into office, especially yeah. considering the, the historic margins he had in Congress. Hey, listen, I really got to take this okay, break, but I appreciate friend, the call. Okay, Have thank you. Way. So much for joining me this evening. Um, I'll actually be on tomorrow at three o'clock for a bit talking with Jess about the uh, Ash Street Jail. She, so looks like she's got a good guest lineup. So I'll, uh, if you're tuned in, I'll talk to you then. If not, I'll see you Monday. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the football games, and. We'll, uh, we'll pick it up where we left off after a really strong week. So stay tuned. And tune into the great uh, the, the other great uh, weekend programming that we have, too, obviously. You know, we've got Brian Thomas, Ken, uh, Ken Pittman, uh, Money Matters with Jose Matos. 